it's Dr. Stu's podcast with me, your host, Dr. Stuart Fishbein. And I'm here with my uh, colleague, Bliss Young. And we're here uh, to uh, entertain you. And we really appreciate a lot of the feedback we've been getting lately. Um, you can reach us at uh, drstuespodcast.com. You can find me on Instagram now at Birthing Instincts. You can find me at uh, Facebook at doc- uh, Dr. Stu's Podcast. My website is birthinginstincts.com. You can email me at askdrstu at gmail.com. And you can reach Bliss at uh, b- bliss at birthingbliss.com. Yes, sir. Got it right? Yes, you did. Right. Well, welcome, Bliss. It's nice to see you. I haven't seen you much lately. Nice to see you, too. Yeah, I just got back from India. I know. I want to hear about your Indian tour. Indian. Yeah. Yeah, I want to hear. I think the listeners want to hear. By the way, I just want to extend a compliment to you. Um, I've had several emails lately looking at the people who are active listeners of the podcast and some people who are new have gone back and listened to all 135 previous podcasts. Wow, I haven't even done that. And uh, well some of them are <laughs> some of them apparently are busted. I got a, a message so Renee if you're listening uh, podcast number 30 won't play uh, so we can see if we can fix it. That happens sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've had people uh, give me more compliments about you mm. saying that you're the best sidekick I've ever had. Yay. They love your voice. They love your commentary. So I want to give you that uh, shout out. That's amazing. Do you know, I don't know if I've mentioned it on the podcast before, but um, I, at one point, thought I was going to be a public speaker before I um, got into opening the sanctuary and being a midwife and all of that. One of my things was I was going to lead these transformational workshops. Well, you you, you, were, you were a big thing with the... Um What's it called again? The forum? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the forum. Yeah. Right. You even got me to go to one. I did. I totally forgot about yeah, that. Yeah. I, I went once. But once. I had I had this guy <laughs> I met and I kind of was on a date with him and um, he coached people like professionals, like um, people who were into politics and stuff like that on doing public speaking. And I've always been a little sensitive about my voice. And he was, he <laughs> on a date. He told me that I needed to work on my voice that no one would take me seriously. So it's kind of cool. Oh, that's interesting that to he hear would say that so. other people. What an idiot. <laughs> he was. Yeah, an what's idiot. he doing now? <laughs> he's still doing it. Filling potholes? What? What's no, he doing? he's still right, doing the right. same thing. Not that filling potholes is not a noble profession. He was definitely an idiot. But it took four years to fill my pothole on uh, the 6th Street exit downtown, though. Is but, it filled? Fi- well, yeah, finally. About two years ago, they filled it. But I moved downtown four and a half years ago, and there's this pothole. <laughs> That you know would bottom out my Mini Cooper, and it was there for uh, four years. Never mind. I, I, I'm I digressing. <laughs> yeah, I, I was up this morning. Uh, had a lovely birth. A woman had her ninth baby. Wow. Yep. I miss doing births with you. I haven't been to a birth with we you in some, a We have some. We'll have time. some coming up in the new oh, year, in the new year. Yay! So anyway, I just wanted to let's just out. They're they're a fool because you have a you have a great voice. Aww, I mean, thanks. I used to listen to Howard Stern a lot, and uh, I listened to Robin and the way Robin would kick in and it's like, and you know, I mean, she's got years of experience and probably that's her vocation. Whereas you and I, this is not our vocation. No. I certainly don't have any professional training to do this <laughs> and it shows. <laughs> but you on the other hand are you are my Robin. Aww. So I feel really good about saying that. Thanks. But Batman you wanna... and Robin too. Oh. Robin's yeah. another kind of sidekick. Anyway. Yeah, yes. well I wish I could have a mask. Then people wouldn't know who <laughs> you I could. am. Yeah. You could totally have Who a was mask. that guy? Who was that mask <laughs> man? Oh, that's a Lone Ranger. That's a different guy. Yeah. You could be my Tonto too. We could come up with all kinds of Or you know, of in this in this day and age, I could be your Tonto and you could be the Lone Ranger. That's true. 
very right. very um, progressive yes. of you. Yes, I know. I'm, I'm <laughs> Mister. <laughs> I'm Mister. Progressive. That's me. Right. Right. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> All right. So anyway, uh, you went to India. I okay. did. Did you go for professional reasons, personal reasons, both? It, you know, yeah. I mean, both. People keep asking me that, and I don't really have a huge separation between profession and personal. Like. Oh, so they're blurred for you. They're very blurred for me. Yeah, I got to turn my head because and, otherwise I'm, I'm not lo- even looking and, at you. <laughs> and I'm okay with that. Like I, you know, I love my work, and um, and it bleeds over in all kinds of ways. Like after we do our podcast, I'm going to go and do a home visit for me a birth, too. birth that I had. Yep. But then I'm just going on a social visit with a client that delivered last year that we've just become really good friends. And this visit to India was a client who was renewing their vows. Oh, yeah, you were there, I, too. I know them, yeah. Yeah, Maya and Daniel yeah. and Dean. Um, and they invited me to come and be part of them. They met in India um, 10 years before, and they wanted to renew their vows and go back to the place where they met. And um, I'm really interested in traveling as soon as my son um, graduates from high school. And so it was a way for me to kind of start this international midwifery travel and um, have a safe place to land and people to kind of guide me because I had children early and I haven't really been able to do a lot of traveling. So it was a big deal for me. And, you know, it's funny that I jumped right into India rather than like I could have gone to Paris or, you know, someplace. But that's that's where they were going to be. So you gave gave you a reason to go is what you're saying. Totally. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, spiritually, people talk about India being a really profound place to travel. And, you know, I've been on the spiritual path for a really long time. And so I, I just trusted that this is where I was supposed to to go. And it was wonderful. It was absolutely wonderful. I went to Rishikesh, which is in northern India. Phone is ringing. Um, and um, it was beautiful right along the Ganges. Gang, Gange. 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 I, yeah. I always say Yeah. Um, And it's really clean there because it's right by the Himalayan mountains. So other places in India. Yeah, when it gets down toward the uh, delta, it's not so good. Yeah, I've heard it's, you know, you wouldn't want to get in it. But here you can do what they call pujas, which is like a like a ritual um and a lot of people go there they consider the water sacred so they capture the water or they dip themselves in the water for sacred purposes or they have these little bowls that are made out of leaves that the children sell along the river that have like a little incense and flowers and um and something that that burns that's on fire and it they send it down the river as kind of like a ritual it's beautiful yeah so that's what they did the day after i got there and renewed their vows and had me dip in the water so um, had you heard of pucha before this mm-mm. trip okay no 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 so this is all new good yeah um but you know i had heard a lot about the fact that you should be a little bit demure like you know not don't have your breasts hanging out and like you know honor the fact that it's their culture and be a little respectful. So, you know, wherever I went, cause I'm, I'm someone who wears tank tops and stuff a lot. And so, but I was very respectful and wore like scarves and stuff to like cover myself. And, but here we are down at the water and they told me to bring my bathing suit and my gets takes off her clothes and she's got on like a one piece. Fully, yeah. Bathing suit with like a little skirt on it. And I realized that I've got a bikini. bikini. And so I was like, I lean over to Daniel and I said, I don't think I'm going to go in the river. And he's like, why? And there's people just fully dressed and men all over the place and stuff. I said, 
um, cause I have a bikini <laughs> and he looks at, at Maya and says, you didn't tell her. And she was like, I didn't think about it. And he's like, it's okay. And so they, we wrapped myself in the scarf. Yeah. I was going to say, why didn't you just go in with your, your clothes on? I guess I could have, yeah, but it's Everybody hot. else was doing it. <laughs> Anyways, it was, it, it, there were lots of stories to tell. I could probably do it. So could you actually podcast. see the Himalaya mountains or they were far, they're, they're too far away? No, you could see them. We actually went into them. Um, we did a sunrise at this um, temple called, I can't remember. I'm going to butcher it. So, but we um, rented a motorcycle and went up into the mountains and I befriended an Indian that had a, an Indian man who had a, um, a moped and we adventured up the, up the Himalayan mountains. We Did you have the moped app to, to use the moped? No. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> it's like the birds or the things laying around. Oh, on the street. oh, oh. No, can't you, can't no. you just hop on a moped there? and? No, but that would be cool. That'd be, uh, yeah. That'd be cool to do. Do you have reception? Was there any cell reception up there? Um, the reception was very difficult. Yeah, it was hard. And Good. Yeah. That's it was. the whole point. It was. You know, I always had my phone with me so that I could take pictures and stuff because I really love to do that. And in Rishikesh is where the Beatles went in the 50s. So that's a big thing out there. They have the um, the Beatles ashram that we could walk to. Yeah. Beautiful. Probably one of my favorite places. Um, it's a little like you know, grown over and it's not being used anymore as an ashram, but it goes on for I found, ever. you know, I was in India 30 years ago, 32 yeah. years ago. Did you go there? No, oh. I was in the north. I oh. mean, uh, but other parts of the north. Uh-huh. I did go to places you can't go now. I was up in Srinagar in Kashmir, mm. uh, which is now closed, I think, to tourism um, because of uh, ethnic strife that goes on up there. Oh, I didn't know that. But, um, yeah, I stayed on a houseboat up there. It was very nice. But I also... Uh, just, I, I found it, you know, I'm not a real spiritual guy, but I just found that India, you can't help it. You just can't help it. There's just something exotic about it. And the fact that everybody speaks English, you know, makes it sort of much more doable, I thought. Yeah. And I thought the most beautiful structure I ever saw in my entire life, and I've been around many, many places, was the Taj Mahal. Yeah. Yeah. Did you get to see that? You didn't get, no, there? You didn't I mean, get there? I asked people, I kept saying, you know, should I go see other places? And, you know, and a couple people said that that was yeah. where you would go. And then my was like, you know what? I went and I wasn't really like that. You know, when I, I went, when I went, you long. could still walk into it and touch things and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It was before, you know, it was before terrorism. It was before that sort of mm-hmm, thing mm-hmm. It was in the 80s. And now I think that they, they keep you, you know, they've got guardrails and plastic up and stuff like that so you are farther back i'll go again for sure i'm sure you'll go again yeah i had a little bit of culture shock coming back two things in particular that stood out for me um one was i spent probably 20 dollars a day for three meals in restaurants and my hotel room that had this beautiful view um so coming back and and realizing how much money we actually spend here was a little yeah, you spent more than that on your uber getting home i'm sure yeah i did <laughs> was a little shocking like wow you know if i just saved a little bit more on some of the frivolous things i could go and stay there for months you know so that was that was kind of eye-opening for me mm-hmm. um and then the other one was you know when we would go to a cafe and have our meals because everything is they have these huge menus and they prepare everything pretty much scratch and um, you sit for two, three oh, hours yeah. and yeah. and hang out and talk and, you know, and it's no big deal. And I was just thinking about this today before the podcast. I stopped at Creation to get myself some food because I was, you know, hungry. I had gone to yoga this morning. And um, 
this woman ordered behind me. You could tell she was impatient. And, you know, I sat down. I was waiting. And and they she said, how long? And they said, 15 minutes. She was like, 15 minutes? And I totally thought about India. Like, yeah. wow, you know, we just are in such a hurry all the time That's why here. traveling is really good. It's really good for young people to travel, too, to yeah. see how the other world lives as opposed to waiting until you're older um, because it gives you much more appreciation for the things you do. And, you know, I know that, uh, you know, they probably in the major cities, they probably have fast food stuff like that. But in... In smaller towns in India, they you mm-hmm. know you're not you're not going to have a drive-through tandoori restaurant, you know that sort of thing. It doesn't really. <laughs> yeah, matter, actually, um, I did a food tour with a chef in um, Delhi before I got on the plane, and she took me to a place that has like she she thinks the best tandoori chicken anywhere, and it was kind of a more fast foody place. It wasn't a drive-through necessarily, but they have both. Yeah. That so, was I have fun. A, so I have a question. You brought up something earlier that you said that your your personal and professional persona are sort of the same. That you sort of that blend together for you. Yeah. All right. A lot of people, you know, have been told throughout centuries by wise people that they you should keep your business in business and keep your personal and personal. I think I know your answer to this question already because I know you very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think that blending the two is a blessing for you, or do you think it's probably your way of coping, or do you think that ultimately it's it put you have it's not necessarily a positive? How would you how would you do that? Because no, I think a lot a of choice. our listeners, a lot of our listeners, you know, they're midwifery world out there, and we all a lot of us are overworked and we're on call too much. Yeah, and uh, we all wish that we had time off. And um, so when you say that, I'm just curious as to what you're thinking. Yeah, I mean, no, it's a very conscious choice for me um, to uh, not have my life be completely different. doesn't mean that I don't have boundaries for myself, that I have things that I enjoy outside of midwifery, but I'm always a midwife, you know, for me when I'm walking around and I'm always a spiritual person and I'm always a woman and I'm always a lover and a friend and, you know, that that, that is blends for me. And I love when... I get so connected to my clients that we we stay in touch and we become fast friends and I'm involved in their life. Like it just, I think it's just one of the most amazing connected things that could happen. Um, and you know, I, 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 I hear you and I agree with you 100%. Mm-hmm. But I can tell you that the rigid powers that be mm-hmm. would tell you that you're, you're violating boundaries constantly. You're crossing boundaries. Like I, as a physician, are not, I'm not even su- su- supposed to accept gifts from patients. I'm not supposed to go to their kids' brises or bar mitzvahs. Um, this is, you know, you know, I have a history, so I, I took courses in this sort of thing, mm-hmm. and um, I always would shake my head and I go, "What happened to your humanity? Where did your humanity go? Mm-hmm. That that you have these these boundaries?" And they think that you, they blur judgment and they and they lead to, and sometimes they do. But also being rigid and cold leads to a lot of problems in our profession and having, you know, not having those sort of things. So the the thing that I found, one of the blessings of doing home birthing for me in the last eight years was the relationships that I develop with the families as opposed to the hospital model where, you know, I deliver their baby, I see them the next day and then they come back in six weeks and I'm not there watching them labor. It's just a, it's just a whole different thing. Totally. But... You know, going out and having dinner or coffee or anything with your client is considered uh, taboo if, you know, in, in, 
in the rigid bureaucratic world that that we but we we operate outside of that on purpose yes we do and i think but that that, that irks people uh, certain people and we're going to get into that in the next segment well, we talk I about definitely don't care about that yeah <laughs> um but the other thing i want to say about the benefit of of us being close to our clients is that lawsuits are a lot less with midwifery for that very reason because we are connected and because they understand that we are part of it and a lot of times in the medical world when you put that that distance between you and your and emotional distance between you and your perv- client, and there is an issue, it's a lot easier for them to be able to put the blame over there rather than have it be a human experience that you're sharing together. Yeah, and we have a society right now that is very victim-oriented, and basically when anything, something goes wrong, you're encouraged almost to complain and be a victim and blame somebody else for it. So you're right. The only cure for we have to that would be either Shakespeare's first kill all the lawyers or secondly would be to have a good relationship with your clients. Yeah, let's do that. Oh, you think so? Yeah. How about both? Is that possible? <laughs> I know some lawyers that I really See, like. See, that's the thing. Everybody <laughs> says that. Everybody says that, you know, all politicians are bad, but the one I know is good or all doctors are, are cold, but the, I love my doctor or all lawyers are bad, but I have a, I love my lawyer, that sort of thing. And it's like, well, you know, wait a minute. If they're all bad, um, I don't think they're all bad. I guess that's that's where I don't. No, but I think the ones that are good don't uh, don't stand up enough. Uh, in all professions, mm. you know, a uh, mentor of mine says the least common trait, quality trait, or good trait in in humans is courage, and um, mm. most people don't have that, and so they just, you know, turn a blind eye or keep their head down. Speaking of, I saw something very courageous this morning. I wish I knew how to tell you exactly who it was. I'm not going to remember very well. Um, but it was a, um, video on Facebook. Uh, it was a transgender man talking about his experience getting pregnant and his delivery and, um, the courage that it took to be a man in the world walking around pregnant. Oh, oh, and, okay. So and what experience that was like right. for him. Um yeah. Yeah, I had to think for a second. When you said yeah. transgender man, I thought it was a a man wanting to be a woman, but you're saying this is a woman who feels like feels is is living as a man. As a man. Mm-hmm. But decided that as a man, I still want to have a child. Yeah, they had a baby right. together. Yeah, and it was the, the it just I didn't even think about that part of it about the courage that it would take to walk around the world looking like a man being pregnant you know because it's so outside of what we normally consider did the person try to hide it no absolutely not and he lives in portland so he talked about like in portland it's like more accepted and you know in other parts (laughs) of the world but he was interviewed and um it became kind of a a public so I'm assuming I'm assuming this person wears male clothing yeah I mean so he looks like a man he's do they make he's done the do they make and stuff <laughs> <laughs> oh maternity I don't know you didn't yeah, talk about just, that paternity maternity whatever it clothes I mean you know because it's a suit and tie don't stretch <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you talked about that specifically but anyways the courage part I, that's what I thought when I watched this was wow 
it, he it, he was such a beautiful storyteller first of all yeah. but just the um courage that it took for all of it and to share his story and to to be in the world um that it took a lot of courage for him and i was really moved and touched by it so maybe we'll put that in the link the notes if you can find yeah, yeah if you yeah, can yeah. find the link yeah, yeah i just can't remember the name of it right now right did it just come up on your feed or what Someone shared it. And yeah. I shared it on my Facebook Yeah, today. so it's on your Facebook page. Mm-hmm. So you, people can go to uh, Bliss Young's Facebook page. Yeah. Can't they? Yes. And find it. Yes, they can. It's Bliss, B-L-Y-S-S. Yes. Young, as in young. Yes. So tell me about your delivery. How was that? Oh, fast. Oh, yeah, because she was number nine. Yeah, I got there and she delivered. <laughs> <laughs> no, the heart rate was down. Uh, the midwife was there with her. Um, she had just gotten there maybe half an hour earlier because this was up in Canyon Country. Why did they have you? Because she was 42 weeks and three days. Mm-hmm. Yes. So mm-hmm. I can thank Sacramento for my income. <laughs> thank you, Sacramento. Thank you. Yeah, very much. Yeah. So they, I just met, you know, I, I actually was at their birth last time. Oh. Birth baby number eight. who's was the cutest three-year-old. He's so cute. He was, he was at the house today and he's asking all kinds of questions. He's, the, he's so inquisitive. He was so cute. But the same thing happened to her last time. Oh, I was going to say, yeah, same same reason you were mm-hmm. there. Except that with number eight, she also had a shoulder dystocia, so I actually had to jump in and and help with that one. Whereas this one, even though the, there was a little, there was apparently a bradycardia at the end, and Renee said uh, Renee said uh, that if the baby doesn't come out with this push, I need you to do your doctor stew thing. <laughs> so, <laughs> it, but it came out right, so that was great. Scream, I had a, screaming, so that was good. I had a delivery this week. So glad to be back in the birth room. Yeah, yeah. Tell us about that. Well, I had I had two deliveries um, prior to that. One delivered while I was in India was one that we were going to be doing together. So I missed that one. I was yeah, sad about that. I can tell you that. You, yeah, that was great because that was a V back. Yes, was great, right? I'm so happy for them. Um, and then the next one um, actually transported for pain relief, which doesn't happen very often for us. But but she did. She decided that she wanted to be in the hospital and get some pain relief. So I didn't get to actually, you know, be part of that delivery. So this mom, um, second time mom, first time transported from a home birth to the hospital and had Dr. Wu actually, and was very pleased with his support. Um, tons of back labor. And this time she, um, really wanted to have her baby (laughs) starting at around 38 weeks. And she was 40 weeks and two days when she actually delivered. And that felt late for her. Um, and, uh, she, they called me in the morning around five and said that her contractions had been about every five to six minutes and she had been walking around, but they weren't painful. And I said, Oh, this is early. You should get back into bed. You know, I know she wants to be in labor, but she can't walk her baby out. She should get back into bed. And so he continued to text me every 20 minutes or so saying she couldn't quite get comfortable. And I was just thinking, you know, she was having a hard time coping and, but I had a whole day ahead of me, and I and so I decided, you know, in my mind, I was going to go and check on them and just, you know, assure. yeah. Didn't we have something scheduled for that day? And didn't we? Like, were we supposed to podcast? Is this the one that you? Were... No, no, no. This this happened on Sunday. Oh, okay. All yeah. Right. No, no. Yeah. Um. So I I decided in my mind, you know, I'm going to go over there and check on them and assure them that it's early or stay. And so by the time I was on the freeway and headed over, he said her contractions are now every two minutes. And um, so I had to have the rest of the team join me. Um, And when we checked her, probably 30 minutes after I got there, she was complete. So yeah, it was awesome. All right. So this is a quick question then. If she was complete, 
Did you start pushing right away? Nope. Or, did you, or did you wait till she couldn't resist? Yes, okay. always for right. me. I'm going That's to, how I manage I'm it. going to transition briefly into an article that came out that really doesn't have a whole lot of play for home birthing because it's about delayed or immediate pushing with people, with women with epidurals. It came out... Uh, delayed versus immediate? Yeah, it came mm-hmm. out in the Journal of American Medical Association last month. And uh, the title of it is Effect of Immediate Versus Delayed Pushing on Rates of Spontaneous Vaginal Delivery Among Nulliparous Women Receiving Neuraxial Anesthesia, which I take to be an epidural. Okay. So again, this doesn't apply for home. And basically they found there was no difference. So like, it's about an eight-page thing that found... No difference in what? In, in, in timing. As a matter of fact, they found that people that pushed earlier uh, probably delivered a little bit f- uh, faster, mm. but they also had longer second stages if you start second stage as when someone is, starts pushing. So people that labored down had pushed for shorter amounts of time but they didn't deliver. Uh, but they delivered a little bit later than if they would have started pushing, even when they couldn't feel anything. I understand that. Okay. Yeah. So you know, we always thought, and we do think, and I think it's reasonable to let people labor down, right? But what they do in the hospital when somebody has an epidural is they'll check, oh, you're complete. Let's start pushing. Mm-hmm. And what they did was they looked and they they decided that even if they can't really feel that much, the pushing may take longer, but if they start pushing right away, they'll deliver sooner than if they wait until they can start feeling stuff and have that incredible urge to push. Yeah, I mean, I guess you still get that with your epidural. You still get some, like, Well, they start to wear, yeah, the and, epidurals right. wear off a little bit. And, and the significance of this, in my own mind, was that we know that fetal hypoxia or fetal pH drops the longer the second stage is. That's a pretty known fact mm-hmm. so they're think- pushing their thinking was that if we can shorten this, uh, the time the baby's in that second stage part we might be able to improve outcomes and it really didn't make that st- uh, significant a difference to it but what there's you know what what we would say in the in the birthing world is even if our client went to the hospital in a transport and got an epidural we'd still want them sort of to wait until they had an urge to push to push but some doctors will go ahead and start pushing right away and even when a woman can't tell what she's doing. And the, ultimately, they're saying there's not a, really a big difference between the two. In timing. In timing. Yeah. There's a lot, a lot of difference in my experience in doing hospital support with um, pushing too early and it getting called and saying, we've been pushing too long. We need to go and Yeah, they, go don't, get, they don't get into that. Yeah, of course they don't. And then I think in terms of, of the woman's experience... Um, of being feeling empowered, um, especially without the epidural, but even with the epidural, um, to be able to honor her own body's instincts of when the timing is right to push, um, I think, of course, is probably not acknowledged in that in your paper either. But there's an empowerment piece that we step over a lot. A lot of women are looking outside of themselves for permission and for information about whether or not well, they, they can do what they were born to do. As you know and I know that look, looking at uh, maternal psyche and well-being and empowerment is not generally discussed in the literature, um, in the medical literature. It's not something that's taken into a factor. Other than sometimes after an article tells you all about the science about it, and the last paragraph will say, you know, this may be important, uh, the how we deliver might be important, blah, 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 blah. So take that into account. But they've gone, they've spent three pages or four pages talking about the 
mechanics of it without any of the psychology of it. Yeah. Right. So I'm going to, I'm going to circle back to what we were talking about earlier. Just so you know, the bliss took her hand because <laughs> you know, she made a big circle and she looked me in the eye and she says, I'm going to circle back. I'm going to circle so, back. Right. I'm going to layer. This is what I do in childbirth education too, is you asked me earlier about my separation between... Oh, we never did finish that, did we? We got... Yeah, we did. So, I think. Oh, we did? Well, we can get feedback if we, if we finished it or not. But um, with my separation between my work life and, and who I am in the rest of my life, and it's holistic, just like birth is holistic and being a woman and birthing is being holistic or a person I should even say is being holistic right so you cannot separate the two even though they the scientific papers and obstetricians traditionally how they're trained they want to just make it a mechanical oh it's all mechanical yeah and and that is one of my biggest frustrations with delivering supporting people in the hospital is that piece is completely ignored and it 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 affects things in so many ways that aren't even acknowledged well there's no better example of that than the the, the trend this past year of let's induce everyone at 39 weeks yeah. You know, we've talked about that on a previous podcast, but that's exactly what you're saying is that they're looking at it completely separate, that the woman is a vessel and not a person. Mm-hmm. And I think I've mentioned this before that when I attended ACOG a couple of years ago down in San Diego, I attended a twin lecture from Johns Hopkins and a, um, I think a VBAC lecture uh, where home, booth, her home VBAC was booed, but by the audience. Wow. Yeah, he brought it up and they, they I mean, as, and, and he brought it up in a pejorative anyway. And it was sort of like sneered and booed. But in all these lectures, when they talk about their policies, their protocols, their outcomes, they never once mentioned the person with the babies inside of them, okay, as having a brain hmm. or having a mind. Hmm. All right. This is how we do it. We go, we put an IUPC in, we rupture membranes, we take them to the delivery room, first baby's out, we rupture the membranes, we reach up, we take the second baby out, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, never did they ever say, you know, if somebody would raise their hand, they would b- probably blow their mind and say, well, what if the woman didn't want you to do that? Right. Why aren't we talking about that, right? Did I talk about the twin delivery where, I talked about this at... Uh, at one of the meetings of the midwives recently. And I don't think I talked about it on the podcast, but I can, I can talk about it in general terms without getting into specifics. But I recently had a twin birth where um, the mother had, during the, during the second stage, it really uh, revealed itself that the mother had a problem being touched. Yeah. She didn't like being touched. Mm-hmm. All right. And she pushed for about two, a little over two hours with baby A. The heart rate on both babies was fine. Baby B was breech. So we knew that baby B was going to need, likely be needing a breech extraction. It's going to be like it because it wasn't a stable breech lie. So if baby A came out and the baby's foot came down or the cord came down or anything, I'd have to reach up and get it. So how are you going to do that on someone that doesn't like to be touched? Yeah. Um, but what we did was, well, we had a really in-depth conversation while she's contracting in between contractions to talk about this and say, listen, Either we need to go to the hospital because baby A is probably going to need a vacuum because it's not coming down and, and we really can't help you. 
and then I know that I'm going to have to reach up inside probably and get baby B because it's going to be hard. If you can't push baby A out, it's going to be hard for you to push baby B out. And I, you know, I don't know for sure, but I've just done enough twins to know that that's sort of what's going to happen with the baby B when it's breech is generally you end up having to go get them. Um, unless they're multips. Primips are different. I mean, this was a primip, so mm-hmm. it's, it's a little more difficult. And, and finally we got to the point where she just basically said, I want you to go ahead and do it. I, I'm not going to be happy about it. I'm not going to be doing it, but I don't want to go to the hospital. Mm-hmm. But at least we had that conversation and it wasn't, yeah. You know, I wasn't as if I said, uh, this is what I'm going to do. Right. Um, Here are your options. And I think 10 years ago, I would have said, this is what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. Good for you. Yeah. Progress, not perfection. Yeah. We, <laughs> you know, the beauty of the human pe- species is that we have the ability to learn. Not everybody uses that. Um, but we have the ability to learn and evolve. Yep. On social issues and on uh, on the way we function in our jobs. Um and relationships. You know, it's an interesting thing. Of, you know, there's um, the old saying that youth is wasted on the young and that yeah. sort of thing. And if you, <laughs> if, you ask, if you ask a 15 or 16 or 17-year-old, they're usually pretty cocky and they usually feel like they know the, entire, they know the world. But if you ask a 30-year-old, are you smarter now than you were when you were 16? There isn't a single person on the planet that won't say yes. Mm-hmm. If you ask a 50-year-old, are you wiser now than you were when you were 30? There's almost nobody on the planet that isn't going to say yes. Yet, when you're young, you believe old people don't know anything. <laughs> isn't that funny? Yeah. It, it is sort of funny. But you, everyone is. feels that they're smarter now than they were 10 years ago. Yeah. They're wiser and that sort of thing. And so, you know, when we hold people to what they did 10 or 20 or 30 years ago, or how they did things 10 or 20, 30 years ago, it's not really fair because you, you change. Yeah. Well, there's a boxer... Who has a quote? I can't remember it exactly. Which one I'm talking boxer. about? And he says something about like that. If I if I'm not better than I was ten years ago, there's a problem. I think oh. it was um, yeah. Ali or no? no it wouldn't be <laughs> Ali. Wouldn't say something like that. Who would say something like that? I'll find it. For a you. boxer? Yeah. All right. So you have to find that. Yeah. You have to look that up. But I but I agree with that. Like, there's a problem. If I'm the same person that I was 10, 15, 20 years ago, then you know what am I really doing here? Right. It's like a placeholder. Yeah, but then you, you then you look at hospitals and, and where they have rigid protocols, and even if nurses sometimes learn from experience, they're not even allowed sometimes to use that experience. They've got to still follow the certain protocols. Yeah, used to be when you had you know when I first started, you had a nurse that uh, in labor and delivery nurse, and if she'd been there thirty years, I mean she knew tons more than I did. Mm-hmm. All right, and she was willing to like guide me or scold me or tell me to go do something in the closet, <laughs> 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 which they have one nurse did one time. Um, but uh, now, I, because of the rigidity of things, I think that it's, you know, nurses are, are deferring now to the, the third-year resident as if the third-year resident knows as much as the nurse. Eh. Mm. When the doctor's in the room, yes. But when the doctor leaves it the room, it didn't, they've got a lot of opinions. But it didn't used to be that way. Mm-hmm. When the doctor was in the room, it'd still <laughs> tell you where to go. <laughs> yeah. Changed. <laughs> yeah, it did change. It's changed. All right. So uh, we have time for one letter because I have a whole bunch of letters. So we're going to maybe in podcast 137, we'll get to the letters. But we're doing podcast 136 today. So um, I think I forgot to say that at the beginning. I was going to say, when did you figure so that is, out? <laughs> so this is Dr. Stu's <laughs> podcast, number 136. Uh, okay. So this is a letter from Mandy. Uh, and she wants to know about why I do certain things. And in podcast 131, 
I talked about the effect of Pitocin in labor as pummeling the uterus. <laughs> and then I was surprised to hear you say you are quick to do the postpartum by manual stimulation. I don't know how you personally do it, but my experience with the so-called, quote, massage, unquote, was awful. And no one I know has had a good experience with it. Which is probably true, right? Yeah, like they like it? Yeah, no, no, no one likes it. <laughs> no one likes uh, it. Blitz liked it, though. No. Yes, you did. <laughs> He's lying. He's lying. Uh, okay. So she says, I had three deliveries, one C-section with a breech-presenting twin. I wish I had found a vaginal breech-friendly, blah, blah, blah. Okay. I had a substantial hemorrhage with the twins, minor hemorrhage with the next delivery. And while I had no major bleeding with the last delivery, I did end up with a clot at two weeks postpartum that wouldn't pass and required a DNC. That's interesting. For my cases, it didn't seem that the massage was strong enough to prevent hemorrhage or cause the clot to move. What is the evidence for this painful procedure? I love when she says that. Um, I haven't found any research. When do you think it is prudent? If it is warranted in some instances, I can't imagine it should be done in all cases as they do in hospital births. Home birth midwives also, home birth midwives don't seem to do it as a matter of course. Is there any equivalent in other mammalian births? I don't think there's any other equivalent in mammalian births. Um, other than letting, no, there isn't. So, um, are we talking about going inside the uterus or are we talking about just rubbing up the fundus? I think she's talking about bimanual. Uh, I think that's what she said bimanual. I think that's what she's talking about. That's what she means. Right. Right. Yeah. And I, she says, I can't imagine it should be done in all cases that they do in hospital births. Um, I think there's a lot of things that are done in the hospital in all cases that don't need to be done, but I think they're done because if they don't do them and there's a problem, someone's going to get yelled at and someone's going to get scolded. So they sort of go these routines. But, you know, as far as the evidence goes, I, I a lot of these things are, are experience-oriented. I have backed midwives up for almost 30 years, and there are times where I will be called, even in the, when I used to do hospital birthing, I would be called to the postpartum ward or I'd be called to a birth because somebody was hemorrhaging, and I would do a bimanual exam, and I would find first that their bladder had like two liters in it, and secondly, that there was a lot and a lot of clot in the lower uterine segment that you have to sort of milk out with your one hand using like two fingers to milk it out while you massage the fundus. And part of, part of the feeling that I have from those is that the nurses or the midwives in those cases didn't want to um, put the patient in a position to be uncomfortable. And by, by, you know, by checking their bladder or maybe just catheterizing them or maybe doing a bimanual exam. And if they would have just done that earlier, it might have saved a lot of Are blo- these women blood loss. that were on uh, epidurals? Not the Homeworth ones. No, I'm ask- I think you were talking about... No, yours. both. I was oh. talking about both. Okay. The nurses in the hospital and the and midwives at home. I've seen it both times. You've, called, you've been called well, in I, for a hemorrhage? No, from- I've been called in to do a repair on somebody. Oh, okay. And I come in and I take a look at the mother's belly and I go... This is like her bladder is really full. Mm-hmm. And so we catheterized. I remember one specific case where we catheterized. I think you might have even been there as a, as a student. Maybe not. Um, where we got like 2,600 cc's out of her bladder. <laughs> <laughs> and she, you know, because she was bleeding while I was trying to sew it. She was continuously bleeding. And then I did a bimanual exam and realized that her lower urine segment was filled with clot. And it probably got out about 600 cc's or maybe, you know, we tend to underestimate. But, you know, there was a lot of blood in there. And if somebody had just done a bimanual exam on her earlier it might have prevented that. So in my own world, I don't ever want to have a woman transferred to the hospital after she's done all this magnificent work at home and given birth and then ended up transferring for a postpartum hemorrhage if I can prevent it. Totally. Right. Yeah. So some people give Pitocin. Some people use mesoprostol. Uh, I would prefer to use manual, uh, by manual 
first before I end up giving any medication. And um, the only article I found, um, I did a little research, Mandy, because I wanted to check, and there's an article that came out in, um, let's see, this is the American Academy of Family Practice, or Family Physicians. And they just talk about tone, and they say uteronatiny is the most common cause of postpartum hemorrhage because hemostasis associated with placental separation depends on myometrial contraction. Atony is treated initially by bimanual uterine compression and massage, followed by drugs that promote intrauterine uterine contractions. So there is evidence out there that suggests that you do this. It's got to be a judgment call, I suspect that when, you know, do you do it on every single person? No, I don't really do it on every single person. All right, if I do, I do it very gently, and I always ask first. Okay, I think I do. Have I not? You, you make, you're just gritting her teeth at me. <laughs> yeah. We, you do it probably more than I would. Oh, of course I do. Oh, okay. That's what the grin is, is that... Oh, no, I, I, think I, I you do, do it. it oh, I said that I do it... More than I probably More would. than almost any midwife would do it. Mm-hmm. All right. But the question is, why don't you do a simple bimanual exam every time? Because it's very painful. And well, you don't, I, not, if you, not if you just feel the lower uterine segment. I, I've seen women bounce off the bed. It's really painful. And so I, I'm, I would not like to do that. And I also believe that there, there could be more bleeding from going inside. Not not just getting rid now of what the makes clots. you say that because I don't I just don't see that just from watching it just because oh, I because my experience is the opposite yeah but um, I will tell you an experience that I had with this last mom um, and I am grateful in my training with you that I had the experience of doing it because now I'm not afraid of it when I actually do need it so I'm very grateful for that because I do agree with you that you know I would rather do something that's life-saving or that helps a woman stay home that might cause her a little bit of discomfort in the initial, um, if that's her desire, than being afraid of it and not doing it. And the other thing I will just add to that as we begin to wrap it up oh, is I that... I to tell you my story. Okay. Oh, well, we got podcast 137 <laughs> coming up next week, right? Stay tuned. No, one thing I'll say is that I, I think we're quicker in the last six months or so, maybe even year, to starting IVs. You are. I think that, yeah, yeah, I think that the other midwives I've been working, you know, I work with pretty much all the midwives Mm -hmm. here. And I think that um, when we start to see a lot of bleeding or the woman is feeling a little bit lightheaded, just just give an IV. It's amazing how fast it works. Yeah, yeah. You know, totally. And and you got to do it before your IV bags expire anyway. So (laughs) use them up. (laughs) Yep, use them up. (laughs) Well, okay, so we got Bliss back from India and thank God you're safe. I'm glad you're back. And uh, so we're going to wrap it up right now. This has been podcast number 136. All right. And 136. And you can, again, you can find us at drstewspodcast.com. Like us on Facebook. Uh, You can find us on iTunes. I forgot to say that. You can share us, spread us, spread the word. We are now uh, very much international, and it's very exciting for me. Exciting. Uh, Maybe at some point, somebody will want to sponsor us. (laughs) We can travel. No, no, travel. We can uh, we can uh, just get a commercial in there, oh, and we can, I can somebody can pay for my podcast. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next time. Bye bye. <laughs>